You are listening to NTC Messina's podcast, where our desire as a family of God is to simply know God, love one another, and make disciples. What an awesome morning, what a beautiful day out. So um, we're going to jump into our series in just a minute, but I have a few things I wanted to talk about before we get into the message. Um, one is, I just wanted to acknowledge Tom and Leanne Saxby. Is, is, is Leanne here, Tom? She's back there. She's, of course, she's praying for someone because that's Tom and Leanne. So Tom and Leanne Saxby, I want to acknowledge them for a second because um, about a couple months ago, I just asked them out to, to lunch and I, I basically said, hey, would you go to Living Hope Church for a season and just walk alongside them, help them in different ways. They were, they're, you know, they're kind of still up and going and needing help and stuff. And so Tom and Leanne dropped their nets, you know, proverbially, proverbially if that's not, I don't even know if I said that right. But anyway, um, and they went to Living Hope. So they've been there almost every Sunday. If you haven't noticed them in church in Malone, really just walking alongside Justice and Martha. Um, also just have been there, the Monsabiases, Tony and Debbie, really serving there and just loving on that community. Because listen, we're all the church, right? doesn't matter what name's on the sign. doesn't matter what denomination you might call yourself. At the end of the day, if you follow Jesus, we are all the church. And so, listen, Jesus is coming back for his church. That's his people. He's coming back for his called out ones. It doesn't matter where they go to church. It doesn't matter what building they're in or under what banner they're flying. If they follow Jesus, he's coming back for them, right? And so we're about the kingdom, and that's what we're talking about in our series, that it isn't just about church in the sense of our, our construct, which is a certain building or a certain name or a certain denomination. It's about the kingdom and what God's building on this earth. And so they've been serving there. I just want to acknowledge them. They've been amazing for that. Um, also, I got a letter this week, and I think we're going to send it out to all of you, just because I know you guys would all love to see this too, but Bill Ramos sent me a letter this week. And uh, just talking about how much he misses his church family and just even how hard it was for him to leave, but at the same time, how much God is blessing him in this season. He's living with his daughter and her husband, uh, doing very well, but he wanted to just write me a letter, which is just wonderful. I, it was, so his daughter sent it by email, but it was an actual letter that he sent, but he didn't send it in the mail anyway, because uh, that's Bill Ramo, right? Um, so Bill, you might get that in your email if you if you uh, have signed up or whatever to have your emails in our system. But Bill just wanted to greet us all and say how much he loves us, and I will respond by telling him how much we miss him desperately. So, um, so last week on Sunday, right after church, uh, ten of us got in our awesome white van, um, which is a little sarcastic because that thing's getting old. And we, packed, we had packed up a trailer, and we drove down to the Sacandaga region in Johnstown, New York, where we rented uh, a gymnasium at the YMCA and a couple of rooms. And we decided what we were going to do is just have a service to gather more interest for what God's doing in that region. You know, we've been kind of working for nearly a year with a small group of people there. They've been having small group in their home. They've been kind of gathering some folks. And really, we did a service, and I just wanted to give you an update on what took place it went really well. Um, there were 45 people from that region that came, which, I don't know, I thought that was pretty amazing. Um, and it was really just an awesome time. You could, just a really great connection was made. A lot of people seemed to really engage. I made a joke with our team after that we, you know, we did what we normally do here. We had an offering in the middle. 
And just a few people came up and gave an offering. And after the service was done, about twice as many people came up and gave. So I thought, well, you only give if you liked what you heard. So, <laughs> so I just felt like there was a really great connection. But I wanted to kind of share what's really happening there. The truth is this. We don't know what's going to take place there because there's kind of some holes, big holes. It's four hours away for us to actually get to a place to hold a service every week. And, you know, I really felt like this driving home this week. The dilemma is the same dilemma as Matthew 9. Harvest is great, workers are few. We can have a service and a whole bunch of people gather, but there's few workers to continue doing that. And it's not just, you know, the truth is it, it's four hours away. It can't really be on us. I, I'm just like constantly imploring with the people there. If you love what we're doing, if, if this is what you think God wants to do in this region, then we have to gather more workers. And so I just wanted to give you that update because we're going to do another service in October. And again, the kind of the same thing, have an interest meeting after to gather some people. And I just would love for you guys to be praying what Jesus says in Matthew 9, because Jesus gives us the, the solution here. It's not necessarily an easy solution if you ask me. I like to do something to fix a problem. And when, when you just say, oh, pray about it, I don't always feel like that's doing something, just being honest, right? But Jesus says, here's the solution. Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out more workers. So can we do that together? Can we all pray maybe just over this next, next month, be asking God, whenever it just comes to your mind, whenever you think of maybe Johnstown or Gloversville, that Sacandaga region, if you hear us talk about it, just, just pray with us. Say, Jesus, send out some workers. Find the right people. Bring the right people in to see this take place. Um, because I really believe they're there. God has everything he needs in that location, and we just have to see God kind of pull them in and bring that about, okay? Awesome. So that's what's happening down there. And the last update before our, our message is I want to tell you what's happening with Augensburg. Um, so we've been talking for two years about planting a church in Augensburg. And COVID kind of really kicked us, you know, in the pants and made us wait a little while. And here we are about two years later after we really began talking about Augensburg. And I just am feeling this is the timing for God to do something. Now, I'm not going to get into a huge storyline of events, but what's taking place and what we feel God doing is just drawing us there for right now. And as an eldership team, we've been really talking, what does it look like? How are we going to go there? How, you know, what is it, what's the right plan of action? And so what we've decided to do, and this is a very different thing than we've ever done. We're just going to start by planting a campus. We've never used that language in our church. So this is what is going to take place. Our church is going to start a church there. And we're not going to be sending a pastor. I'm going to go. I'm going to still be here, but I'm going to be in Augensburg. I'm, I'm actually planning my schedule to be in there every week. We have a group of people from here that's going to really carry some of that. But this is what's crazy. I have had more connections than I can even mention in just the last month and a half about God doing a work there. In fact, one of them was uh, um, a couple that I met actually through a situation at a funeral, and they just said, they came up to me after the funeral and said, when are you, when are you starting the church in Augensburg? I said, oh, you've heard about that. 
And they said, everybody's heard about that. I said, oh. <laughs> and then they, I said, well, where do you go to a church somewhere now? What's your story? And the, the story is that they were going to a church in Hubleton that closed a while back. And then they said, there's a whole group of us just waiting for you. I said, okay, maybe we should start. <laughs> so we're going to start a church in Augensburg. We're gonna, it's it's going to just be an extension of Messina at the moment. And what we're going to do is going to start by kind of doing what we're doing in Sacandaga. I'm believing for the, the weekend of October 22nd or 23rd, which is a Friday or Saturday night, we're going to have a, a service there. We're going to rent space. We're going to have a, a small worship team go. And we're just going to get the word out and gather. Because I have literally every week emails or texts from people saying, when are you coming? When are you coming? When are you coming? And I want to be able to say, now. We're coming now. And I believe that God has prepared that place for people to really gather. And, you know, I love, there's just so much about Augensburg that, that's really captured my heart. But the truth is, it's our root system. This church's roots go all the way back to a gathering of people, um, they just called it the Canton Road, right? Route 68 between Augensburg and Canton in a place called the Chicken Coop. Yeah, you better like our church. We're not meeting in a chicken coop, because they literally did. It was a renovated chicken coop. My Uncle Ron can tell you the stories. And that's where our, our roots began there, and somehow, since then, I, I would just say, Augensburg's been a little neglected when it comes to church. <laughs> and when it comes to life-giving you know, pe people that are just really spreading the kingdom. It doesn't mean God hasn't been doing stuff there for the last 40 years. He absolutely has. But this is what I always say. Just do the numbers. Add up all the people in church in a region, minus that from the population, and guess what it equals? More work to be done. Every time. I don't care what city or what place you live in. There's more work to be done because Jesus is drawing people to himself. And I believe he's drawing people right now in Augensburg. And so we're going to be launching basically, uh, we're going to do one service at least for a couple months. And then I'm not sure what the date is after that, but I wanted to put that out there to you guys as well. So October 22nd or 23rd, we're going to land on a date shortly because I didn't want to say it boldly because I actually don't have a space to meet in yet. So, you know, you can be praying for that too. Uh, we'll figure it out, though. I'm not worried about that kind of thing. So we're going to have our first service coming up in Augensburg in October, believing that God's going to do some great things. Can you pray with me for that? Literally right now, we're going to pray, okay? So pray with me. Father, we just lift up Augensburg. God, we lift up what you're doing there. We lift up the work that you've been doing there for 40 years, God. And we just kind of want to add water to these roots, God. We want to add water to the seeds that have been planted for 40 plus years in that region. And God, we want to call out that harvest that you, you looked at in Matthew 9, Father. And you said there, it's there, but there just needs to be workers. So God, we just say today, we'll be the workers. God, we'll do this work for you. And so, Father, we ask that you do an incredible thing in that region, God. We also ask right now for you just to open up doors in the Sacandaga region, God, that you'd bring in the right workers for that place, Father, that you'd bring in the right people and the right families and the right moments and, and just everything that you could only line up, Jesus. We ask for you to do that work. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, on the way down last week, about halfway there, Jeremiah was sitting kind of near the front row, my son, Jeremiah. 
and he goes, um, how many people are coming tonight, Dad? I said, I don't know. He goes, what do you mean you don't know? I said, I don't know. I said, I'm hoping people show up. He's like, people might not show up? I said, yeah. Where's, he goes, what, you didn't do a sign-up or something? I, that's not how this works, buddy. And, and he was like literally all anxious. He's like, you mean we could, might be going down there just to have a service and it could just be us? I said, yeah, we'll just have a service for us if that's what happens. And so we did all the setup in the gym and we got everything going. And, and there's kind of these windows along the gym wall that look out into the entrance area where you're coming in. And the first couple that came in about 20 minutes before we started, he comes running over to me and he goes, Dad, someone's here. We're good. <laughs> I'm like, man, you have more anxiety about this than I do. This is, this is the nature of doing the work of God, though. You just don't know. You've got to put yourself out there. It's, it's not just about church planning. It's about life, too. You don't know what God's doing in someone's heart, usually until you put yourself out there, until you open a door, or until you say something, or until you encourage, or until you speak hope, and then all of a sudden we begin to see that God's doing a work in someone's heart, or in someone's life, or in a region's life. And so this is what, you know, for me, I'll just say, if I'm an unhealthy, like my personality, if it's unhealthy, my biggest fear in life is failure. Totally. That's what I think about almost all the time. But when I'm healthy, I want to literally look failure in the face and say, I'm willing to go down that road. I'm willing to even look like something didn't work because I want to make sure that something can work. You know, I know this sounds silly, but I love Wayne Gretzky. Everybody, come on. I'm an old hockey player. That's it. Wayne Gretzky, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. I know that that's not Jesus. But man, isn't it true? Unless we are willing to step out in faith, you can't see faith take action. And so we have to be willing to do this. And, and that's what we're doing right now. In Augensburg and Sacandaga, we're stepping out in faith. And I just hope I'm not alone. You with me? All right, awesome. Um, so yeah, that was not anything to do with my message. So 11.08, I got some time. All right, so you guys have your notes. We're stepping back into our series, The Kingdom, Advancing the Kingdom. Over the last few weeks, we've been talking about that. Last week, um, I talked about where is the kingdom at and the scripture that the Pharisees, kind of really the Pharisees were asking of Jesus, when will the kingdom come? And Jesus said, it's not here, it's not there, but it's within you. And so we realized last week that the kingdom is wherever we go, which is what we're doing in church planning, that we want to bring the kingdom wherever we go. And then I kind of ended with this possibility, or it's not really a possibility, it is in, probably, in my opinion, the biggest obstacle for us seeing the kingdom as a reality in our life and for us seeing the kingdom as a reality in the world around us, and that is unforgiveness. And there's, I didn't even spend a lot of time on that, but if you just look throughout the Gospels and you listen to Jesus' words around unforgiveness, this is probably the biggest obstacle for us seeing these the kingdom come to be in our lives. And I challenged you guys, I challenged myself, who is God calling us to forgive today? And you know, forgiveness is not a maintenance-free program. It's something that you sometimes have to reapproach, reestablish, and redo daily. That's why the disciples came and asked Jesus, how, how many times do I have to forgive this person? And Jesus said seven times 70 a day. 
490 times a day. That's how many times you have to forgive somebody. Even if they do the same thing over, but they ask for forgiveness, you must forgive them, Jesus says. This goes against our nature, right? And so there's this place where I believe forgiveness is a key to seeing the establishment of the kingdom within us and the establishment of his kingdom around us. And so I wanted to kind of hit another obstacle today. What what might keep us from seeing the kingdom really come true in our lives and come true in the world around us? So we're going to start right in Matthew 5, um, the Sermon on the Mount. And I'm going to read, it's right there in your uh, notes. I'm going to read first from the ESV. Verse 3, it says this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. How many of us have heard that before? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I put right below that the New Living Translation, which I believe kind of helps us understand it immediately a little bit better. And then I'm going to talk about this for a second. But the New Living Translation says it this way. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. So in the ESV when it says, blessed are the poor in spirit, that word poor there was a specific word for poor that actually meant so poor you were dependent on someone else. It wasn't like, oh, I don't have very much. It was, I have so little, I'm dependent on others for living. They literally had different words for how poor you might be, okay? And the poor that Jesus uses in this sentence, in this scripture, is the poor that means you're dependent on others for your life. And I think this opens up hugely what Jesus is trying to say. Unless you are dependent on others in spirit, you won't inherit the kingdom of heaven. Or if you are, the kingdom is yours. And really the dependency here, I think, is not necessarily just on others. It's on him. The dependency Jesus is speaking about is the dependency that we're supposed to put our life in God's hands. And so when I look at this scripture and I read this, and I, you know, these, this is the first of the Beatitudes out of Jesus' mouth, right? We all have heard of this, this, this preaching or this teaching moment from Jesus, and it's called the Beatitudes. And it's kind of these huge key things for us in life, and the very first one is, unless you are poor in spirit, you cannot, you cannot inherit the kingdom. If you are poor in spirit, the kingdom is yours. Well, I want the kingdom to be mine. Do you? I want the kingdom to be within me like Jesus says in that other scripture. I want the kingdom to be around me and and to be a reality in my life. And so if I want that to be true, this is one of the keys. We have to be poor in spirit. We have to be reliant or dependent on him. Now, let's just admit it. As Americans... We spend our entire lives doing the opposite. As Americans, we spend our lives being dependent on ourselves. In fact, we chastise those who are not dependent on themselves. Now, I'm not preaching for, honestly, welfare. I'm not preaching for socialism. I don't actually believe in those things. But I do believe that there's a place 
where Jesus is trying to say, as humans and as people created in my image, you've always been designed to be reliant on me. And when you remove me out of the equation, you don't do it very well. When you take me out of the dependency equation of your life, you go about life trying to fulfill your own needs, trying to fulfill your own desires, trying to fulfill your own destiny and vision, and it doesn't go well. Now, the sad part for me in my life is friends or family members that their life is just so good, in their heads they go, why do I need God? And it's true, right? It's like, what's the answer to that? And what Jesus is saying is, to, regardless of your resource status in life, regardless of your financial status or your, your job status or your economic status, re- regardless of that thing, we still have to have an attitude of dependency on him first. And I want to read a parable today that basically warns us about how difficult this is. So let's jump to Matthew 19. It's a very well-known parable, or it's not a parable, it's a story. There's another parable I'm gonna read after. This is an actual story of something that takes place. So Matthew 19, verse 16, and it says this. Someone came to Jesus with this question. Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Why ask me about what is good, Jesus replies. There is only one who is good, but to answer your question, if you want to receive eternal life, keep the commandments. Which ones, the man asked. And Jesus replied, you must not murder, you must not commit adultery, you must not steal, you must not testify falsely, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. I have obeyed all these commandments, the young man replied. What else must I do? Jesus told him, if you want to be perfect... Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. But when the young man heard this, he went away very sad, for he had many possessions. Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth. It's very hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. I'll say it again. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astounded. Then who in the world can be saved, they asked. Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it's impossible. But with God, everything is possible. Real quick. Notice this scripture here that we've quoted many times. When Jesus says everything is possible, he's mostly speaking about the availability of salvation for all people. Then Peter said to him, we've given up everything to follow you. What will we get? Great job, Peter. You captured the point perfectly. (laughs) Peter's doing the math. He's like, wait, I left my nets. Remember that story in Matthew 5? I dropped everything. I left my fishing job. And he's like, I think I'm doing pretty good. What do I get in return? Isn't this us? I love Peter. It makes me feel normal. Yes, Jesus replied. And I assure you that when the world is made new and the Son of Man sits upon his glorious throne, you who have been my followers will also sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. 
And everyone who has given up houses or brothers or sister or father or mother or children or property for my sake will receive a hundred times as much in return and will inherit eternal life. But many who are the greatest now will be the least important then. And those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. This is a huge story. Especially in reference to what Jesus just says in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are dependent on me in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And we see this story of a rich man come to Jesus. In Luke, we hear it told as the rich young ruler. And he comes to Jesus and he's asking actual good spiritual questions, right? This is like the right questions to ask Jesus. What must I do to be saved? What must I do to have eternal life? Oh, I've done those things. Is there anything else? He wants to make sure he's doing what he's supposed to do. And Jesus makes a statement, which is mind-blowing to me. If you want to be perfect, anytime Jesus says, if you want to be perfect, you should pay attention. If you want to be perfect, go and sell all your possessions and give it to the poor. It says the man went away very sad, for he was very rich you see in that day in our day in our lives we tend to practice not needing God you know often people talk to me about um, tithing and giving and we do it every Sunday and I've had people that'll even argue with me like oh I don't know if tithing is is really uh uh, something that's still true in the Bible. You know, it was in this Old Testament thing, but now Jesus is here, and I say, okay, if you really want to argue what the Bible says, at the end of the day, when Jesus comes on the scene, you want to know what he asks for? A hundred. You want a hundred percent or ten percent? And listen, this is the thing. Jesus isn't up in heaven with some giant calculator keeping track of your giving record. In fact, he does not care about that part of it at all. What he cares about is our heart's placement. And you see, when I talk about giving and tithing, I think 10% is a great amount because it hurts enough. It's enough for me to say, ah, that's a lot of money, Jesus. And what it does is, is it's a literal practice in the principle of being poor in spirit. And so I don't give because... You know, in the Old Testament, when they told everybody to give to the Levites, it's because, you know, they need to eat. And so they would literally give certain food, and then the Levites would be allowed to eat that food. And it was taking care of the church and taking care of the ministers. Now, thank you, I do receive my salary from your, your gifts. But at the end of the day, that's not the reason for giving. The reason, the most reason for giving that we see in Scripture is for us to remain reliant on this God who we need. And so even though I might have more than enough and plenty to live on and all this resource, if I give my resource to God, it's a practice in being poor in spirit. It's literally a reminder every week that when I come and give this, that the job I have was because of Jesus. It's because, you know, when I place that in the basket and it's possibly even a little bit painful because of the amount of money, I remember I'm dependent on him. Not on my own ability, not on my own, you know, talents or even my own giftings. 
You know, I think some of the most difficult things that we go through in life is when we become incapacitated in some way. This happens to all of us as we get old. We might not be able to work any longer. We get a sickness that takes away our ability to produce like we once produced, or we get older in a way that kind of keeps us from having the same talents or giftings we used to have. I, I remember years ago watching this video of a woman who was this incredible singer. She was an opera singer. She was quite famous in that world. But as she got older, she lost her voice's ability to continue singing that way, and it was devastating for her. You see, all of the things that we're able to produce now are really just dust. But our reliance on him possibly will never fade. His, his love for us doesn't fade. And so when we put our reliance in the right things, even when we lose our ability to produce in life or to be successful in life or to be dependent on our own, we'll be reminded that he takes care of us. And so giving, that's just a simple way of us practicing being poor in spirit. But you see, I really think it's harder than most of the world for Americans or for first world countries that have done really well with their lives or people who have done really well with their lives, it's hard for us to actually fit into this category of poor in spirit because we literally practice not needing anyone or anything. And yet Jesus, the very first thing out of his mouth in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. I think one of the greatest obstacles we face at not seeing the kingdom of God in our lives, in America, in, in around us as the church, is that we don't know how to be poor in spirit very well. We struggle. It's okay to say that. I do. I don't like to ask for help. I can do it on my own. But when it comes to Christ, when it comes to the kingdom of God, when it comes to following his ways, we have to realize that our abilities always fall short. But it's where Jesus picks up the rest. That's what's great about it. You don't have to be that talented. You don't have to be that gifted. You don't have to be that capable. In Jesus' kingdom, you just kind of have to be willing. You have to be willing to rely on him. You have to be willing to step out in faith when you don't know what's going to happen. You have to be willing to lean in when it looks like it's impossible. And that's when the kingdom of heaven actually starts to take place in our lives. Listen, if we're capable of it, I'm not sure it's just the kingdom of heaven. Whatever dream that God's put in your life, if it's something you can achieve... It's not just the kingdom of heaven. I'm sure that God's given you good dreams that you can achieve on your own. But when we start talking about seeing the kingdom of heaven come on earth as it is in heaven, right? The Our Father prayer. If we want to start believing that miracles can take place, that impossibilities can happen in our lives, well, that is where our inability starts. It's where our capability stops and our inability starts and we rely on God. And yet, I think that in America, I really do, and I think even in our lives, we are often the rich man in this story. Jesus, we want to do everything you tell us to do. What do you want us to do? Oh, yeah, I, don't, I didn't murder anybody. Ooh, good job. I obeyed my parents, you know, sometimes. 
I followed your commandments. What else must I do? And then he gets really serious. Sell everything you got. And you're like, I know you're not saying that to me. And that's just for the story. It's just to make a point. Is it? Who knows? I think we always think we're the exception. But what is God calling you to sell so that you can remain in his kingdom, so that you can actually see his kingdom remain in you? I'm not talking about salvation here. I'm not talking about works-based or anything like that. I'm talking about seeing the kingdom of his world come established within us. What is it God's calling us to do to see that take place? What's he calling us to sell? What's he calling us to give up in our life? What's he calling us to to lean in and rely on him more with? Because I really think he would have answered that question if all of us were asking it right now, he'd answer that question in a thousand different ways. Because really, what's he gonna do? He's gonna go right to the very thing that you're holding back on him. That's what he's doing. In In this story, the rich man, it's his resources. But he's going to find, he somehow would know. I think if we let Jesus in, he just kind of knows that place in our life or in our heart or in our mind that we kind of are holding out like, no, I like this part. No, don't come in here. No, don't take that. No, don't change that. That's good. There's nothing wrong with that, Jesus. And we hold Jesus out. And yet we cry and And believe and want to see his kingdom established within us in the world around us, yet we kind of keep his kingdom out of every place within us. This is what it means to be poor in spirit, dependent on him. Matthew 20, Jesus goes immediately into a parable after this story. So the story takes place and and the rich man goes away and the disciples are like, well, my gosh, who can be saved then? He makes a statement about a camel going through the eye of a needle. And the disciples are confused. And so Jesus decides to follow it up with a parable. We're going to go through that parable, Matthew 20. For the kingdom of heaven is like the landowner who went out early one morning to hire workers for his vineyard. Now follow me through with this and we're going to come back to it. He agreed to pay the normal daily wage and he sent them out to work. At nine o'clock in the morning, he was passing through the marketplace and saw some people standing around doing nothing. So he hired them, telling them he would pay them whatever was right at the end of the day. So they went to work in the vineyard at noon. And again at three o'clock, he did the same thing. At five o'clock that afternoon, he was in town again and saw some more people standing around. He asked them, why haven't you been working today? They replied, because no one hired us. The landowner told them, Then go out and join the others in my vineyard. That evening, he told the foreman to call the workers in and pay them, beginning with the last workers first. When those hired at five o'clock were paid, each received a a full day's wage. When those hired first came to get their pay, they assumed they would receive more. But they too were paid a day's wage. When they received their pay, they protested to the owner. Those people worked only one hour, and yet you've paid them just as much as you paid us, who worked all day in the scorching heat? He answered one of them, Friend, I haven't been unfair. Didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? Take your money and go. 
I wanted to pay this last worker the same as you. It is, against, is it against the law for me to do what I want with my money? Should you be jealous because I am kind to others? So those who are last now will be first then, and those who are first will be last. Famous scripture there too, right? But it follows up in this parable, and I love that. This is the parable Jesus uses to follow the story of this rich man. Here we've, we've got this wealthy landowner who keeps hiring people throughout the day, right? It says in the morning and then at nine and, and then at noon and three and five, and they all get paid the same. And of course, like any of us would be, wouldn't you be annoyed? Come on, really? Wouldn't you be annoyed? Like, seriously? I just worked all day. Any of you guys ever farmed and like hayed in the heat? I did it like twice and I've never done it again. I was stupid and wore shorts. That's all I remember. Because it was hot. But you don't wear shorts when you're hanging. Listen, I would be frustrated. I said, wait a second. Don't I deserve more? I worked this hard, but yet the landowner ends with this thought and he says, Is it wrong for me to do what I want with my money? Why are you jealous because I'm showing kindness to these people? And I think this really shows us again. And, and truthfully, I believe this is the religious point of view. Because here's the reward that's going to take place. And this is, I, I love that Jesus is saying, this is the kingdom of heaven. Because you see, in our world, we measure things a certain way, right? We measure success in certain ways. We measure we measure whether someone has done well in life by how well they can retire or about what their 401k account looks like or, or how much they worked during their life or what their family looks like. And we see these measurement systems that we just have that are constructs of our society, yet Jesus is showing really quick here that the kingdom of heaven doesn't measure the way that we, that we, way that we do. He doesn't measure things the same way. And we go back to this idea of being poor in spirit. And we go back to this story that took place just before where he tells the rich young ruler who would look successful in life and he would say, sell everything you got. And Jesus uses this story to say, listen, the kingdom does not measure things the way you do. You don't deserve more because you worked longer. Ouch. That doesn't even make sense. But what I love about this is it shows the kindness of our Father and how he treats us. Because listen, all of you are thinking you're the worker that got hired in the morning. You're not. You're the, hire, you're the worker that got hired at five. You see, we all think we're the one that got hired in the morning, and we're all looking at it so unjustly. But the truth of the story is you're the worker who got hired at five. And if you're the worker hired at five, don't you feel very differently about this Landowner, if we're the workers at five o'clock, we're going, what? I only worked an hour. Why is he giving us this much money? He's good. My gosh, I'm, I'm gonna come find him tomorrow. I wanna work for him more. I, want, I wanna give my time for this person. Look at how he's blessed me. You see, we often approach Jesus or God because we think we're the workers hired at nine. And we think we deserve something from him. And we think that because we worked hard and, 
and we, we did all this stuff that we should be, you know, kind of entitled to all these things, but yet really what we should be looking at is that we're the workers at five o'clock who are dependent on the landowner's goodness. That's what it looks like to be poor in spirit. Just waiting around in town all day. No one hired you. A good guy comes along and gives you a full day's wage. This is the kingdom of God. This is the goodness of God. Imagine a world that could see God in this light as the worker who was hired at five instead of the worker who was hired at nine. A world that looks at God and says, it doesn't matter when I came into the kingdom, he blesses me anyway. It doesn't matter that I might be 55 years old and feel like I wasted all these years doing my own thing and screwing up life, but now that I came in, he gives me everything anyway. I mean, how many of us have gone through that, man, I feel like I wasted so much time. I feel like I I made so many bad decisions. Guess what, it doesn't matter. He's a good landowner. (laughs) He's gonna pay you the same day's wage. I think one of the main points of the story, get hired now though. Don't wait any longer. Whether he hires you at nine or early or at nine or at noon or three or five, just get hired. Find your way in. Because this landowner, this king of this kingdom is good to his people. And when we realize his goodness, it's a lot easier for us to be poor in spirit. It's a lot easier for us to rely on this king who loves us so desperately that even when we only worked an hour, he gives us a full day's wage. That even when we kind of mess up in life and we keep stumbling over our own faults and our own issues and doing the same thing, he blesses us anyway. He takes care of us anyway. This is the goodness of his kingdom. And this is what it would mean for us to be poor in spirit. To look at God in this light, under this idea of this parable of this landowner who loves us no matter when we came into the kingdom, blesses us no matter how much work we've done. And simply because of that, we give our lives for him. I want to now be dependent on this person. You know, even in our world, we understand that good workplaces, good bosses and good owners produce really good workers. A company who has a turnover all the time, just look at their leadership. Look at how they treat the people underneath them. But what we see is, when we come into God's kingdom, he treats us unbelievably well. In fact, undeservingly so. And when you When you're treated, in a sense, in an undeservingly good way, doesn't it just draw out of you to lean into that? Someone blesses you, don't you just want to lean into that relationship? This is what God's doing to draw people. This is what his kingdom looks like. This This is what it would mean for us to be dependent on him. I have two questions here at the end. I'm going to end here in just a moment. How have we let reliance on other things keep us from fully entering into his kingdom? How have we? There's not a have we. It's how have we. 
Every one of us has relied on other sources of dependence in our life. Let Jesus just kind of maybe put his finger on you today. Let him kind of press you just a little bit. Because listen, it's, money's not bad. It's the love of money, right? It's, that same, it's the same nuance to this story. It's the idea of putting our faith and our love in something other than God that is the problem. What is it in our lives that we've relied on other than Jesus? And then the second question, how has Jesus been kind to you even when it didn't make sense? Because when we have this perspective, when we remember he's been kind to us and it didn't make sense, it's a lot easier to lean in and be dependent on him. And when we find ourselves placing our dependence on him, we'll begin to see the kingdom happen. We'll begin to see God do miracles we thought were impossible. We'll begin to see the kingdom actually come on earth as it is in heaven. We'll see lives transformed and relationships brought back together. We'll see freedom for people who have been addicted for 15 and 20 and 30 years. We'll see the kingdom actually established in this world. And I believe that these are just obstacles that kind of keep us from getting to that place. Holding unforgiveness, like we talked about last week. Keeping our dependence on ourselves. Those are things that keep us from entering the kingdom of God well. I want to give up those things, do you? Why don't we stand this morning? You know, if you're in this room or you're watching online, following Jesus, becoming a part of this kingdom thing we're talking about, it just takes a simple moment of you saying, Jesus, I want in. And I've said every time that I've prayed for someone for salvation, I say really the core the core of Christianity and being saved or following Jesus is simply this, knowing you need Jesus. If you can't admit you need him, you're not following him. If we depend on him, it's when we actually become followers of him. It's when we realize that our salvation and our grace and everything comes through him first. And simply all you have to do is say, Jesus, I need you. You can say that for the first time today and it'll begin a whole new story. You can say this for the thousandth time today and it'll begin a whole new story. And so I wanna pray right now and, and that's what I want every one of us to do. If you're in this room, if you're watching online, I want every one of us to whisper to ourselves, Jesus, I need you. Can we do that? Father, we just thank you for what you're doing. And God, we thank you for challenging our hearts. God, we thank you for these scriptures that just point to our, our inadequacies as humans, God, and, and our reliance on ourselves instead of our reliance on you. But God, today, collectively in this room, collectively online, God, we whisper these words, we say them out loud right now. Let's do it together. Jesus, we need you. Jesus, we need you. We need you in our lives. We need you in our minds. We need you in our relationships. God, we need everything you have for us. And God, we just work today to even reject this part of our humanity that just wants to do it all on our own. God, we want to take responsibility for the part we're supposed to play. We want to work in the ways we're called to work. But God, we also don't want to think we're doing it without you. So Jesus, we say we need you today.
God, we thank you for what you're doing. God, I ask for your blessing over every person in this room and every person online. God, I ask for miracles to be released this week as people just lean into your kingdom more. God, that your kingdom would be released in people's lives. God, we ask for miracles in bodies, God. We ask for freedom in minds, Jesus. And God, we thank you that you are working and you are with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Be blessed. Have a wonderful week. Please be praying with us for Augensburg and for Sacandaga. Thank you for listening to NTC Messina's podcast. We hope you join us next week and have a blessed day.